Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. We're so thrilled that you're here. If you're in the hallway, I'd love to encourage you to come join us in here. We're going to have start today off with a few baptisms. We're very excited about that. Wonderful. I just wanted to, um, Glenn, if you could just, if you'd throw the announcement slide up there for me. Uh, we're, we're thrilled that you're here today, and uh, of course, we're, if you're a guest of ours, we'd love for you to uh, take just a moment and fill out that Connect card. But if you got a bulletin, if you could uh, just bear with me for just a few moments. Um, first, if you could uh, please pray for our college student of the week and our, our shut-in and our missionary of the week. Remember them in your prayers uh, throughout the time. Uh, we're so thankful for Robbie and Jerrica Owens and their leadership of our youth. And there's a uh, Don't Waste Your Summer activity uh, this Thursday. The, the um, details are inside of the bulletin. Uh, then I want to say thank you for those of you who prayed for our MCCA staff and our teachers. Uh, they, got to go to a they got to go on a trip last week to Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, have only heard wonderful reports. So thank you for praying for them and for making that possible. Uh, on the first Sunday of August... Uh, August 6th in our life groups we're going to go back over a marriage document that was passed out a few weeks ago and if you weren't here if you happen to miss that there's some on the back table uh, in the auditorium so I'd love for you to have a chance to review that and then also in the in the um, bulletin also remind you of the evening of missions called hearts on fire uh, that we have coming up and so we're, we're really excited about that and hope that you can make plans for us that's going to be on Sunday evening uh, August 6th uh, today, we're, we, we're going to start our service off with three baptisms, and uh, each of them have just an incredibly beautiful story of how God is working in lives and bringing them on, on a special journey. And if you're new to the church or if you're new to seeing baptism, uh, our purpose here in baptizing somebody uh, is, is many-fold. Um, primarily, what we're, what we're wanting to do is to allow uh, these who have chosen to follow Jesus— to have an opportunity to publicly declare uh, their 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 desire to uh, to live for and to please Jesus Christ. Uh, each of them are going to share their salvation testimony through word. Someone's going to read the testimony for them, and then we're going to baptize them. And I think one of the uh, most compelling ways that I've heard baptism shared recently is baptism is attending your own funeral. Just as Jesus Christ was was. He died and was buried and then rose again. Uh, we, through baptism, we share our own death to self, our own death to wanting to try to save ourselves, and we are going completely under, rising to new life only through who Jesus Christ is and for the life of Jesus Christ uh, to be seen in us. Our first baptism uh, this morning is Jessa Morrison. Jessa, come on down here. Jessa and her wife, or sorry, her wife, her husband, Cliff. Cliff, would you just raise a hand over there so everybody might know this is Cliff over here? And her daughter, Kate. Kate, would you wave at everybody? Oh, there we go. So uh, this is this is Cliff and, Je and Jessa Morrison and their daughter, Kate. And she has asked Jane Fogle to read her testimony.
difference Christ has now made between you. Acts 26 and 27. Realizing what Christ has done to save me has made me a different person. I see things differently because of him and him alone. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Life will never be perfect. I take part. The Lamb of God has overcome the world. It's finished. We had uh, uh, both Jessa and Pastor Mike and I had a chance to sit down uh, together this past week and getting to hear uh, just how the Lord has worked so consistently in her life and her willingness to respond. It was such an encouragement uh, to my heart, and so we're thrilled uh, to present her to the church for baptism. Jessa, I have Jessa, I have two questions for you. Uh, Jessa, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Sent to deliver mankind from their sin? Yes. I love that. And Jessa, is it your desire to live a life from this point on that pleases your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Yes. Awesome. Amen. Upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Buried in the likeness of his death, Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Wonderful. I'm going to invite Matt Huff uh, to join me in the baptistry, and Devin Morris is going to read Matt's testimony. Devin, adjust that microphone so they can put it, put it right in your mouth there. as a young child through my neighbors once was the pastor one was the pastor of the church I attended and the other the youth pastor I attended their church throughout my adolescent years all these years gave me a great foundation and knowing the Lord I wouldn't say that I completely understood or comprehended faith as I graduated from high school and went on to college God continued to place believers in my path who each had a great impact on my life after my freshman year at Emory and Henry College, I transferred to Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg. God was working. While at EMU, my roommate was none other than Stevie Owens. You can imagine the backslide that caused. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In all seriousness, I love Stevie with all my heart, and he has had more of an impact on my life than even he knows. We were poor college-age boys who probably spent most of our money in all the wrong ways. The grand staffs and the weekly showed up at the one day and filled our cabinets and refrigerator. I remember being so taken back by their actions. They didn't really know me, and Stevie was just their daughter's boyfriend. What a selfless act of kindness. I will never forget that. They planted a seed, and to this day, I love and respect each of them and appreciate their friendships throughout the years. Also at MU, I built a vital relationship with my basketball coach, Kirby Dean. He is passionate about his faith and had an incredible impact on me. After graduating from college, I went on to coach at EMU under Kirby for 13 years. He is still one of my best friends. Through the years, I would attend church with Kirby from time to time and also attended Valley Church in Harrisonburg occasionally. Eventually, I met Nikki, eight years ago to be exact. We went to church with Nikki's parents at her own church. We were the Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and Christmas crowd. While we were believers, we were not plugged in. In 2018, I took the varsity boys co basketball coach 
position at Luray High School. Again, God was working. My first year of coaching, Braden Burrell was a senior. He was my best player. I love that young man. He kept me on my toes, but he was a great kid. His family welcomed me with open arms. Believe it or not, Mr. and Mrs. Burrell even bought me a pair of Duke socks for Christmas that year. <laughs> another friendship was built. Another seed was planted. In 2019, Trevor Hasse transferred to Luray, another incredible athlete and just an awesome young man. This is when I met Pastor Hasse. Pastor and I developed a friendship. He would come and talk to my guys, pray with them, and was an incredible mentor to them and to me. He has a way with people. I loved hearing him speak to my guys, and I would go home and tell Nikki about him. We would listen to his sermons online from time to time and both loved to hear him speak. It was so evident that Jesus was in him and flowing through him. He invited us to Mount Carmel one Sunday. We came and really enjoyed being here. We considered coming here more regularly, but it was all the way in Luray which made the perfect excuse to just watch online when we could. In 2019-2020, we started house shopping and nothing was working out. The market was so hot, everything was overpriced in Rockingham County and selling fast. Something made us begin to consider Page County and in June of 2020, we closed on our home in Stanley. We considered enrolling in MCCA, but didn't end up sending the kids that year. I'm a public school teacher with a passion for sports and honestly did not fully understand the Christian worldview or the importance of such. By the summer of 2021, God had placed another friend in our lives. He was going through a terrible time in his personal life and we thought that we were placed in his path to be there for him and support him through the tri his trials. Little did we know, God was working. This friend was a believer, and he completely called us out about not being plugged into a church. Over time, we realized that our children were not being fed or poured into in the way that they could be. That summer, we enrolled Devin and Hale in a Mount Carmel Christian Academy. They began to form relationships with the students and staff, and so did we. Soon enough, they were involved in the youth group, and man, could we see God working in their lives. Although we knew that we had an open invitation to Mount Carmel, Pastor Assey texted me out of the blue one day and invited us to church again. We intended that Sunday, and almost two years ago, and have been a part of Mount Carmel family since. Pastor often talks about the question that he asks people that he meets about salvation. I was the perfect example of having lived my life trying to be a good person, but not fully understanding the gift of salvation. I knew that I was saved, but my knowledge and the way that I think has changed significantly. As I continue to plug in more to Mount Carmel, my faith has grown. My knowledge of the gospel has grown, and most importantly, my relationship with Jesus Christ is evolving. I now understand that allowing our children to have a Christian education, to be poured into daily, and to develop a Christian worldview is far more of an investment than expense. God has continued to follow me and my family and seemingly fought for us to continue in his path. I stand before you today to be baptized, not only as a profession of my faith, but as a symbol of my submission to God. Amen. 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 I love that. And I, this is one of the greatest uh, privileges that I have as a pastor, uh, to be able to see God working in, in men and, and ladies and to see their surrender uh, to what God is doing in their lives with, with joy. It, uh, it is my privilege to get to stand here and present Matt uh, for baptism. Matt, I have two questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God who was sent by his Father to deliver the world from their sin. Matt, is it your desire to live a life that pleases Jesus Christ in all you do? On that profession of faith, on that profession of faith, Matt, my brother in Christ, I baptize you, Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Nikki, can I invite you on up here? Matt and Nikki are one of a group that have recently come on up, come on all the way up here so you can stand as close to Matt as possible. You can jump in if you want. <laughs> Matt and Nikki are a part of a group that has completed our last membership class, and they are requesting membership to Mount Carmel Regular Baptist Church family. Uh, both have shared their testimony of salvation and have been baptized. Uh, after that, and uh, we are thrilled to present to you uh, Matt and Nikki. And so, may I have uh, a motion to present Matt and Nikki uh, to the membership of Mount Carmel Regular Baptist Church? Good. Jim Grandstaff has his hand up. Tom League is going to second that. All in favor of adopting Matt and Nikki into the family, would you raise a hand? Amen. All right, here's the test. Is anybody opposed? Stevie's not here. All right, good, good. Thank you so much. So we have, a, we have a baptism and a new family in the church joining for membership. So praise the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And our third uh, baptism today is Katrina Lego, and Katrina has... Yvonne uh, Baracker, her van ministry partner uh, and dear friend to read her testimony. And Yvonne, make sure you're, we can hear you, okay? Problem with that. <laughs> already cried, so it's fine. She already cried, so it's yeah. fine. Great. I took the membership class a couple years ago, but I didn't go through the process to become a member. Regardless, Mount Carmel has been my church family for the last two years since my husband and I moved here from Fredericksburg. When I heard Pastor Brian's announcement, I wanted to go through the rest of the process with him, still here. As I wrote this testimony, I discovered that there was an unintentional theme from my end, but clearly intentional from God. So I titled it, Saying Goodbye is Hard, But It is Necessary. I have been a part of church, a church family since before I can remember. I grew up in a small town in New York, with the majority of the population being Amish. I was raised on a small dairy farm, small family dairy farm, which played a big part in shaping who I am and the values I hold today. When I was in high school, it was a time that was really hard for dairy farmers, especially small family farms. Despite the incredible hard work and hours my parents put in to save the farm, we had to say goodbye to both our home and farm after they were made to file bankruptcy. My mom at that time went back to school for a degree in math education. Her and I were actually in different colleges at the same time for part of it. I used to complain about the barn chores that I had to do after coming home late from school and sport practices or games on top of many hours of homework. It's amazing what we take for granted because losing the farm was at that time probably the hardest challenge I've ever faced, especially seeing the pain it left for my parents. This was the first real point in my life that my endurance had a chance to grow. 
And those words from James 1.3 have a clear meaning to you. Sorry, if those words from James 1.3 have a clear meaning to you, then you probably you are probably someone who has also had a chance for your endurance to grow during a trivial point in your life. Saying goodbye to the farm and our home was hard, but it was necessary. The next point in my life was college. I saved what I could through many, many hours of work outside of school. So many jobs at different points based on where I was living at each point outside of school. So many jobs that, oh, sorry, I just reread that. At each babysitting, milking cows, the different farms, waitressing, caregiving for an elderly man, serving at an ice cream parlor, working at New York and Company and at Sears. I bought my first car with the money I'd saved from high school. I don't really know when I slept, but the good Lord made it work. In fact, one of my first jobs was on the weekends starting at 2 a.m. every morning to milk cows before driving over to the cafe I worked at for the rest of the afternoon to evening. I'm sharing these things because I want to be really clear that the road that got me to where I am today was not easy and it was exhausting, but again, necessary. I continued to work any hours I could after high school through college while earning my master's degree, fast tracking through the program as much as I could to graduate at age 22. The years I spent at the community college was good. Yes, the program was challenging and required many hours of devotion, but I remained plugging into the church and the on-campus ministry, transferring to Gannon University, a Catholic school in PA, was a different story. The rest of what I'm about to share is a part of the story that I never shared with anyone except my husband. To share it has required much prayer and strength from our Savior because I've carried so much shame for many years and have let the fear of rejection and being judged take hold of me. Saying goodbye to that fear has been hard, but necessary, because he has made it clear that it is not my story to share. He has written a story so beautiful and miraculous that it would be selfish for me not to share it. And he has also taught me through the years that there is no sin too great and we are never too far gone. Without the scars, my faith would be weak. And he has strengthened my patience and endurance to a faith that cannot be shaken. During my college experience at Gannon, I did not attend any church, nor did I have friends that I talked about Jesus with. Looking back now, I can clearly see that I was not headed down the right path, but there were definitely some key turning points that led me so far that I didn't think I could ever be forgiven. More so, I felt that I shouldn't be forgiven. One major turning point was when I was sexually assaulted. I told no one. Until you experience something like that, it doesn't make sense to you why someone would keep that inside. And I don't fully understand it even now. But the most sense I can make of it was that I blamed myself because of the path I was headed down. I felt dirtied, embarrassed, and so ashamed. But instead of turning for help, I drew further and further away. I began to hate the world and I became reckless and careless in my actions. My heart grew so hard and it led to an addiction of sexual sin that only Jesus in his mercies could save me from. Just as he did for the Samaritan woman at the well, he helped me to overcome the grave that I dug for myself and to say goodbye to my past. Now fast forwarding years later, Many who I am close with know that I've been struggling with infertility for all of the almost five years of my marriage. 
This enhanced the shame of my past as I led myself to believe that my infertility was as a punishment for what I had done and my fear of sharing my story included the fear that people would know that is why. But I am here today to share in confidence that we serve a God of mercies and forgiveness. Amen. Though I am still struggling with infertility and the severe physical pain from this disorder that has caused it, I am confident in our God that his plans are always good. And I am so grateful for his love and forgiveness, as well as for the times he has, he has grown my endurance and strengthened my faith. For without the scars, I would not know him the way I do today. He has not left me or abandoned me when I parted from the 99, and because of the sin, his sacrifice for me has an even deeper meaning. I stand here today humbly expressing my thankfulness and confession of faith that I owe all to him. Church family, I need you all to hold me accountable as we are called to do lovingly as brothers and sisters in Christ. He makes us new and he welcomes us with open arms when we surrender our lives to him. I surrender all, Lord, saying goodbye to fear, shame, and my tendency to take control. I give my life to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. How we never know the story of the people who are sitting down the row from us in church. The burdens they carry. Well, I had no idea of what Katrina shared with the church until I read her testimony earlier this week. She's a lady that has a smile on her face all the time, happy to serve in any way as quickly as she can. And uh, yet the Lord has freed her to be able to uh, allow the church to step in into some needs of her life. And so I'll ask if you would please continue to keep her in your prayers. Uh, but it is, is my privilege to present her for baptism this morning. Katrina, may I ask you two questions? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was sent by the Father to deliver the world from their sin? And Katrina, is it your desire to live a life that pleases Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. <laughs> Katrina also took the membership class. She took it two years ago and uh, has never officially joined. And she, while we were talking, she said she would like to do that as well. So uh, not only do I get to baptize uh, Katrina, but we get to present her uh, for, uh, to, to you as a church uh, for membership. Look, at we got people already raising their hands, Dave. All right, Katrina. Um, Dave Guzzi wants to make the motion. Yvonne wants to second that motion. All in favor of bringing Katrina into the Mount Carmel family for membership, raise a hand. Amen. Thank you. Is there anybody opposed? Wonderful. Then the motion is passed. And before, um, before you go, Katrina, the Lord um, placed on my heart after reading your testimony to ask, um, this is some anointing oil, to ask the Lord for favor. 
with your infertility. Our Father God, we know that children are heritage of the Lord. And you love to give good gifts to your children. And we know that you love this daughter of yours. And Father, we would ask to be able to see a gift of your grace come in a miraculous way to her. Lord, your goodness is not on trial. We're not questioning your ways, but Lord, we know your heart. And you have a heart that says you love to see your children find joy in your gifts. And so, Lord, we would ask, as women that we read in the scripture have asked for you to open their womb, for you to, of your good, kind, graceful ways, see fit to allow Katrina to bear a child. We know that you are a good God and you do all things right. But we would ask for your heart to be opened to her. And Lord, that you would allow her to bear a child. And we would ask these things for your glory and for your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. I would ask if you would continue to pray. And I, and I want to make very clear, we don't know the mind or the will of God, but we do know the heart of God. And he desires to give good gifts to his children. So would you continue to pray for Katrina? Would you stand? And would you say good morning to somebody around you as our worship team comes to the... Make your way back to your seats. You make your way back to your seats. Remain standing. We are going to worship him in song this morning.
Hey, Trenton, could you get the preview up? The preview, please. Well, thank you. Man, we've already started worship this morning. What an awesome way to begin our worship this morning than to see the power of the Holy Spirit in lives and a plan that nobody anticipated change the trajectory all for His glory. Man, it's amazing to see what happens when that fountain of living water runs through our lives, and we're going to celebrate that this morning. Oh, He is still our fountain today. Let's praise His name.
are God's people said. Amen. You know, when the prophet Isaiah talked about the coming of the Messiah, and he said his name should be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. You know, the, the term God with us wasn't a foreign concept to the people of God. Ever since creation, God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He went before the Israelites in a pillar of cloud and fire. Throughout Scripture, we see Him say, Go, and I will be with you. Then Jesus came, and He was God with us in flesh, and now He sends His Holy Spirit to be with us. The question isn't, is God with us? The question for us, church, is, are we with God? Are we surrendered to His will and His plan for our lives? Are we abiding in Christ? Because when we do, we begin to develop the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ and the character of Christ. And we put that on display for all those around us. And when we do that, the power of the Holy Spirit does amazing things in us and through us. And the only response we have is for us to sing out in praise to Him. So church, this morning, God is with us. But are we with God? Because when we are, He blows the doors wide open with amazing works. And our hearts have no recourse but to sing a brand new song of praise and worship to Him.
such a tiny offering at Calvary. Nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. I was studying yesterday morning Psalm 141 and David was on the run either from Saul or Absalom, but we know he was out in the wilderness. He was hiding in caves and and for David that meant he couldn't be at the tabernacle for the, the two sacrifices that took place, the most holy times of the day. And so David says in Psalm 141, he cries out to the Lord and he said, May my prayers be like incense before you. May my lifted hands be as the evening sacrifice. You know, it's interesting he says the evening sacrifice because that happened at the ninth hour of the day. Fast forward to the cross. The Bible tells us at the ninth hour, the evening sacrifice. Jesus cried out, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he surrendered his spirit. The evening sacrifice that day became our ultimate sacrifice. And what was David was saying is that I can't be at the tabernacle. I can't give you a sacrifice, but I have a mouth and I have lifted hands that I raise and surrender to you, my king. I offer myself. I praise you for who you are because I know your promise to redeem and restore your people. And little did David know that he be the father of a generation that that ultimate sacrifice that would redeem his people would come from in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, may that be us this morning, church. May our mouths and our lifted hands of surrender to him give him all the praise and all the glory. May we ask for him to have his will in our life as we look at our king, the one who is too beautiful for description. Let's stand in all of him this morning as we worship.
Just blown away by seeing your grace, your faithfulness, your forgiveness. Lord, your victory over sin and, and the anguish of our past. How we have seen testimony of how you set us free from shame and guilt. And you give us newness of life and freedom through your grace and your mercy. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. Really, there really are no words. Lord, we just stand speechless Amen. before you in all of who you are. Lord, may your people 
live a life that way. Lord, displaying what you have done in us, displaying the freedom that we have and how we live our lives, proclaiming the goodness that you have shown us and, and the seasoning of the words that we use with other people. And Lord, may our actions be those full of grace and mercy so that others see the love of Christ, not judgment or condemnation. May we be a people who show the all of Christ in us. Lord, we love you. We give this service to you. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated, but we can dismiss the children, unless your children are Michael and Haley Jenkins, because I love the Jenkins family to come on up, and Miss Cora Sweat, if you would come forward as well. We've been privileged to, again, recently close a new membership class, and uh, there was seven folks who attended that class, and all seven are asking for uh, membership in the church. Ms. Cora, would you just stand right here for just a moment? This is Mrs. Cora Sweat, and uh, she is uh, just a wonderful lady, the uh, father, sorry, the father, the mother. <laughs> I can't get my words right today, you know, of Neil Hunsberger, and so we're so thankful for her, and has uh, moved into the area re in recent years. And Michael and Haley, come on over here a little bit. Uh, and Michael and Haley Jenkins uh, are also presenting uh, themselves, their family, for membership uh, in the church as well. Uh, Pastor Mike and I have been able to have um, uh, meetings with both of them, and, and both have expressed clear testimony of salvation and, and baptism following that. And so wondering if there would be somebody who would like to make a motion that we accept uh, both Miss Cora and also Michael and Haley uh, into membership in the class. Kevin Richards, I see uh, your hand going up first, and then uh, Wayne McQuillan. Wayne McQuillan seconds that. All in favor of the Jenkins family and Miss Sweat, would you raise your hand? Wonderful. And anybody opposed? I see everybody likes you for now, Michael. Uh, just give it some time. Thank you so much. We're so thrilled to bring another. Amen. Thank you. I'd love to just invite the ushers as soon as you can. Just go ahead and you can make your way uh, to the front, and then uh, we'll go ahead and start collecting uh, the offerings. The rest of you, if you would mind uh, joining me in Exodus chapter number 15. Exodus chapter number 15. He's grabbing a Michael, I think. Yeah, Rob's got him. How many of you have ever seen or heard the, uh, the poem called Footprints? Where, okay, it's a beautiful, beautiful poem where uh, somebody is looking back across their life and they, they realize that, uh, oops, sorry, that's okay, you all right? <laughs> thank you guys, and thank you church family for being faithful. There's a poem called Footprints where somebody is, is looking back across their life and as they walk so-called on a beach and they, they notice that for most of their life there are two footprints uh, as they see and recognize Jesus has walked beside them. But then they, as the poem goes on, they come to a realization that there are times in their life where there's just one set of footprints. And those times where there's only one set of footprints, um, it seems very clear that, that Jesus has abandoned them. And so as the poem is, is read, the question is raised to Jesus, like, I see that you walked with me for most of my life, but it was in these most difficult of times where you left me alone. And the poem 
ends with Jesus saying, my child, it was during those times I carried you. And it's, it's a beautiful poem, but I, I recently heard somebody uh, read where somebody had uh, shared a little bit, and they said that poem is not accurate. They said because the words of Jesus are not accurate. Because it's not like Jesus simply carried us. He said what Jesus should have said was, my child, it was during those times I held on to you as you kicked and screamed and did everything you could to get down from me and run away. And I held you tight until you stopped throwing your temper tantrum and were ready to walk with me again. I was like, you know what? That actually is a little bit more realistic when it comes to my life. It's not that Jesus simply carried me. He had to hold me tight because I was trying to go my own way. That is so much of what we see in the lives of the children of Israel who are God's people of the Old Testament. We see God caring for them and yet them doing everything they can to turn and run their own way and yet the strong arms of the Lord continue to pull them in and carry them. If you were with us last week, we made it through the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. And we're now getting to the point where after they have sung this glorious song of Moses, they are going to start their complaining. There was this swing of we've been saved by the Passover lamb to, boy, the, the, the Egyptians, our armies are coming after us and we have nowhere to go to swinging back again to seeing the salvation of the Lord opening the sea for them, closing the sea on Pharaoh and his armies. And like you would think after seeing all of this that, It'd be smooth sailing, but that's simply not the story that we read, and it's not the story we live either. I think most of you understand this. As soon as we get through one obstacle in our life, we, we, we turn to find the next obstacle. That's why our prayer lists are always full, because we turn from one and finally make it through only to meet another. Trinity, you graduate from, from high school. Guess what's waiting for you? College. Those of you growing up and going out on your own, that's a great step. But guess what awaits you? All the bills in your mailbox soon to arrive. You get married and you bring two people who love one another together only to find that this does not mesh perfectly. You bring children into the world only to realize the training that must take place. And then as you get old enough and mature enough to finally retire from your job, you're met with more difficulties as health conditions deteriorate. It's easy to ask ourselves, why can't we just get through one, one obstacle and just have smooth sailing for the rest of our lives? And, and I would say, I, I would just tell you that I believe and I would really as I look back across my own life and the lives of others, it, it's because God uses the challenges that we face in our lives to reveal who we are, who we really are, but then also to reshape like who he wants us to become. Challenges in our life reveal and reshape our character. And this is what's going to be so clear in Israel. Because what we're going to find is that there's going to be two occasions that God is going to bring his children to a place of testing to reveal and to reshape who they are. 
If you look at with me in Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 22, verse number 22, Israel has left Egypt, they have been delivered, and now they are on their way to Mount Sinai. Verse 22 says this, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Verse 25. And he, meaning Moses, he cried to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a log. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There Yahweh made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, your healer. If you need those words this morning, you remember that. He is Yahweh. He is your God, your healer. Verse 27 says, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. These very, very thirsty people come to water and they're like, finally, but when they get there, they find the water is bitter and undrinkable. And so they grumble. Remember that word. They grumble to Moses and the grumbling is going to echo throughout much of Israel's history. Moses hears their grumbling and he turns to Yahweh and he says, what do I do? And he shows Moses a tree to throw into the water and then the water becomes sweet and the people can be refreshed. This throwing of a tree into the water has echoes throughout Scripture. The word show in verse number 25, when it says Yahweh showed Moses a tree, comes from the root word teach. So what we really have is Yahweh is using a tree to provide knowledge. He's going to teach his people with this tree. And so when we think of a tree of knowledge, immediately our minds echo back to the Garden of Eden where God has already attempted to use a tree to show his children, his own creation, who he is. I am good. You can trust me. I will provide for you. And yet Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge and it cost them everything. What was sweet in their lives suddenly became bitter. There's also an echo as Moses' wooden staff touched the waters of the Nile at the very first plague. The water of the Nile turned from drinkable to becoming bitter blood, undrinkable, and nobody could take it again. God was using that, wa that wood in the water to teach his children who he is. I am Yahweh. I am over all the gods of Egypt. And I think your minds are probably already going there, but we can't miss the echo of how Jesus used a tree to teach. To teach the world about good and evil. And to turn the bitterness of death and separation from God into the sweetness of eternal life and being able to call the creator God your father. Right? It's Deuteronomy that says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. But when we get to the Gospels and we see Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on a tree, we see that he takes the curse from us to offer blessings in return. 
beautiful how God uses this tree to teach his people. But what I really want to draw your attention to is back in verse number 25, when Yahweh said, I am going to make a rule and a statute, and I am going to test you. He follows it by saying, will you listen to and obey my commandments? Now, you got to keep this in mind, right? In school, you're given tests, and the tests are so that a teacher can discover what the student knows. When you go to a doctor and the doctor offers a test, the test is to, so that the doctor can discover what's in your body. Both of them have limited knowledge, but we're seeing Yahweh, the creator God who knows all things, is going to place his people through a test. Why would Yahweh test his people when he already knows everything about them? Why would he test you? Because testing reveals what God already knows. But it provides a chance for us to see who we are. And it provides us an opportunity to change if we don't like what we see. I don't know if any of you have gone through this same thing, because I know it wasn't unique just to to, to the school where I grew up. But I had a teacher, I, I was in middle school... And the teacher went and he placed a test down on, uh, face down on everybody's desk. And he gave one set of instructions. He said, please read the instructions carefully. You may begin the test. And so I started to read the test and started to write the answers in as I was going along the test like everybody normally would. And I got about, I don't know, a third done. And somebody in the class stood up and walked and put their test on the teacher's desk and I was like listen like I'm not the smartest in this room but I know that I'm smarter than that person there's no way they could be done with the test already and actually answer the questions but about the time that thought was going through my mind somebody over here stood up and walked to the teacher's desk and placed the the test on the teacher's desk and I was like there's no way so I went back to my test and started writing it again and sure enough like person after person kept going up and placing their test on the teacher's desk and finally the curiosity got the better of me and I I began to scan through the rest of the test and at the very bottom it simply said if you followed the directions to read all of the questions before writing any of the answers you may place your test on my desk for a 100% if you started writing your answers you must complete the test See, that was not a test of knowledge. That was a test of whether or not I was listening and willing to obey the instruction I heard. Yahweh's not trying to test his people to find out what they know. He already knows that. He already knows their hearts. What he is testing them is so that they will see their hearts and they will realize the condition in which they think they are is not accurate. And he's going to give them an opportunity to change but i love this about the tests of yahweh his test was not if you obey me i will give you water it's not how it went he provided water took care of their thirst and then said now will you listen to me that 
is the way our God works. God never sits back. Well, what's the gospel? The gospel is not, if you're good enough, I will accept you. That's not the gospel. That's the gospel that the world thinks, and they work so hard to be good enough so God will look at their good works and their bad works and say, you've got far more good works than bad works, and so I will accept you. That is not what you find in the scriptures. The scriptures very clearly teach God accepts us when we look at the work of Christ, when we look at the person of Christ, and we say, I believe, and I follow. When we believe and commit our lives to the King, we are accepted. We're accepted. And then our good works are not to get God's salvation. Our good works are because we are obeying the one who has chosen to save us through the giving of his own son. It's got to be important that we understand God is always a God who gives first and then asks whether or not we've recognized him as a good giver and are willing to follow. The same thing happens in the very next chapter, but it's not with water. This time it's going to be food. Look at verse number two of Exodus chapter 16. And forgive me, I have no idea why the, uh, why the verses behind me are, are it's, not, it's the wrong font and it's, it's going off the page, so forgive me. But Exodus chapter two, verse number three says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would God we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This, so you understand what they're saying? We wish we would have died when Yahweh was going through and killing all the Egyptians. Verse 4, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, I'm going to pause right here. He is not talking about the Ten Commandments. They have not gotten to Sinai yet. His law is not just, you must do these ten things that I'm going to ask you to do. His law is his word. So he's saying, I'm going to test you whether you are going to listen to what I have to share with you and whether you will obey it. In verse number five, we see a little bit of this word. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So he says, I'm going to send bread from heaven. Here's the supply. Now I'm going to test you. Will you listen to me? And again, well, I just want to, Stay on this idea that Yahweh does not test his people to see if we're worthy of receiving his gifts and his grace. Here's the answer. No, we're not worthy of his goodness. We're not worthy of his grace. The test is not, are you worthy to receive something at the hand of God? The test is, now that God has given you something, do you recognize him as worthy to obey? That's the test. He gives to them first, and then he's going to reveal their hearts. 
There's three rules that he was going to give them. One, only take what you need for today. Two, do not save anything for tomorrow. Three, on the sixth day, gather twice as much, and it's going to last you for two days. So this test, why are they tested? What is this ultimately meant to reveal? It's meant to reveal their hearts and whether or not they are going to trust that Yahweh provides for his people daily. You just go out and get what you need for today. Sufficiently, you don't need to worry about tomorrow because I will take care of tomorrow just like I took care of today. And sovereignly. Because what would normally melt after the first day, I am going to miraculously make it last twice as long. Like, so this test was ultimately, will you listen to the one who is providing for you, or will you ignore what your provider says and begin to try to provide for yourselves by hoarding? Are you going to keep, or are you going to listen? And if you know the story... We're not going to have time to read through the whole chapter. If you know the story, you know what happened. I'm going to fast forward to show you a little bit. In verse 19, Moses said to them, let, not, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Ha. You just got some who very, God very clearly says don't keep it, and they keep it. Why? Why? I need, might need some for tomorrow. And what if God doesn't come through? And Moses was angry. Not angry because they didn't listen to his word. Angry because he knew they weren't trusting God. And then we see in verse 25. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And Yahweh said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my? How long, Yahweh asks, are you going to do it your way? And I don't know about you, but I find it, when I read these, I just find it so easy to roll my eyes at these people. Like, what is, what is the deal? Like, he did all these plagues in Egypt. Like, he just parted the Red Sea, and then he brought it back together on your enemies. He just turned bitter water sweet. He's raining bread from heaven every day. And you still don't get it that he said on the sixth day, keep enough for tomorrow, and it'll last you. Bless you. But I have a question. Should we criticize the children of Israel when we build up our bank accounts to make sure that we have enough when we need it? Even though Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, ask your Father to give us this day our daily bread. Should we be quick to criticize Israel when we hold on to our grudges against people? Even though God's Word clearly says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you. That's pretty clear. We struggle with that. Shall we be quick to criticize Israel when we typically only help people that we like? Even though God's word says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who persecute you. So, I have a question for my wife. 
Jamie, could it be possible that when somebody cuts you off on the road, that Jesus is simply testing your willingness to obey and forgive? I've been waiting all week to do that one. (laughs) Could it be the person who treats you unkindly at work is simply a test of whether you are obedient to the word of God when he says to love those who hate you and do kind to those who are unkind to you? Could it be that the person who lied about you and spread those lies that he is testing whether or not you really believe vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, I mean, we all want to say, I love God, I, I love God, but really it's only when we're tested is it really revealed whether we have a heart that really wants to be committed to what Yahweh says. Look, you guys know this, just because someone reads a book on courage, it doesn't make them courageous. I'm sure those of you that were in the military or your law enforcement, you have seen people who talk a talk and yet when they have to run into the face of danger, they hide. We could say we're good Christians. We could say we want to follow God. Man, it's not until we're tested do we really find out whether that's the truth. I've coached enough people. Some of you are coaches. There are people who do really good in practice, but put them in a game situation and they really struggle. It's the test that reveals who we are. But see, God is not testing us to ridicule us. He's testing us so that it will reveal to us who we truly are because the testing of God, it reveals and then it offers opportunities for change But even more so, it's a time of preparation. You've ever suffered a tragedy in your life, and I don't want to call out any individual because I know many of you have suffered great tragedies in your life. You've experienced death. You've experienced extreme loss. You've experienced abuse. Many people will reach out to you and try to be an encouragement and even an inspiration. But do you know whose words hold the most weight? People who have suffered the same thing and are living a life that says that you say I want to be like that I, I mean boy Katrina I was so moved by your testimony today I hope that you understand how encouraging that had to have been to the body of Christ to hear you being willing to share your hurts your shadows you encouraged somebody in here. You did. But, but then, hey, she also expressed the hurt that she's going through. You know who would really be an encouragement to Katrina? Is somebody who also suffered through the same thing. That's why God gives us a body. So that we could step into the lives of others. The problem that we have as believers is that when we are faced with a test, our response is often what the children of Israel's response is. We grumble at the test. 
And the even greater problem with the grumbling is that the grumbling is usually directed in the, at the wrong person. Remember what it said? The people were upset with Moses that the water was bitter. Can I ask a question? Let, let's just think through this. Did Moses tell them where to go, or were they following the pillar of fire and cloud? Did Moses have anything to do with making the water bitter? Then why are we yelling at Moses? Because well, he's there. But he didn't have anything to do with getting you there or turning the water bitter. That was all Yahweh. You notice what happens. The people grumble at Moses, and what does Moses do? He turns to Yahweh and say, I can't help. This is on you. You see, we have grumbling, but then we also have grumbling. But only one grumbling is facing the right direction. See, even though they grumbled at Moses, he wasn't responsible for their circumstances. What we have to understand is when we express to people our discontentment with our circumstances, ultimately we're expressing to people our disappointment in God's provision in our lives. But what good is it to tell someone in here? How are they going to change that? The way Katrina, man, I'm so sorry for picking on you. Is that okay? The way Katrina expressed a need was, hey, church, this is what she said, I need your encouragement. That wasn't saying God has, God is wrong. It was saying I need your encouragement, but the prayers have been lifted to the only one that can do anything about it. See, here's the thing. Read through this passage You'll never find Yahweh upset about Moses bringing his requests to him. I don't think, I don't think it offends Yahweh when we complain. He knows, he knows our frame is dust, right? He knows who we are. He knows we get hungry. He knows we get thirsty. He knows we get anxious. He knows we, we want to see things happen when they're not happening. He knows us, but it's when we complain this way instead of this way because there's no one here who could do a thing. Yahweh never seems to prevent his people from expressing their needs, but he is teaching them that he's the only one who can meet their needs. I mean, I think we'd have to pull out a portion of the Psalms if we weren't allowed to complain to Yahweh because David does that a lot. It never bothers God. But it's when he goes to Yahweh, you know what happens? Sometimes David's heart changes. The circumstances don't, but his heart does. And he learns to come back to trusting the word. The only time Yahweh is upset in this passage is when his word is not trusted and someone goes out on the seventh day to collect. But I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit because, because we got to get to the really good part. This word grumble, it appears in the New Testament as well. And it's about bread. In Luke chapter 15, I'm, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to have you turn to one other passage in a moment. In Luke chapter 15, we read this. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. So we have God eating with sinners. How dare he? 
oh, that's exactly what Yahweh did when he sent bread to a sinful group of people in the wilderness because he loves them. And Jesus loves but in John 6, and if you want to turn with me there, John 6, this is where this bread of heaven gets crazy. In John 6, the people, there is a group of people who are listening to Jesus teach, and they're hungry, and so he is moved with compassion to Share with these people who it says they're going to, if they don't eat, they're going to perish. So now we have a group of people in the Old Testament who is hungry and they're concerned about even existing. And we have a people in the group in the New Testament who is a multitude who are hungry and Yahweh has just got done teaching them with this tree and Jesus has just got done teaching them with his word and now he multiplies bread to give them. It's really cool. And then he leaves. And then a group of Pharisees, a group of the religious, are going to catch up to Jesus at a temple in Capernaum later on in John 6. This is so cool. I was in that temple when I got to go to Israel. I was in this temple that we're reading about right now. They catch up to him. And they're like, hey, would you, like, tell us who you are? Like, are you real? Like, and Jesus says... The work of God is to believe. Interesting. The work to believe in the one who sent him. So they listen to that. The work of God is to believe in the one who sent him. And here's how they respond. They want to know if he is sent by God. Look at verse number 30. So they said to him, so they said to Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Like, what are you going to do to show us that you were sent by God? Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, here's what's interesting. The word he, these folks were talking of Moses. We know Moses was sent by God because Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And here's how Jesus answered in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, wait, I thought the bread is like a what? Actually, it's so interesting. The word manna, it means, what is this? Like they looked at it on the ground like, what is this? But what they said was manna. That's what it's called, manna. But here, Jesus is saying the bread of God is not something. I'm not going to answer the what is it. The bread of God is he. It's a person who comes down from heaven and gives life the world ah just two verses later Jesus is going to say I am the bread of life come down from heaven guess how they reacted oh man the Bible's so cool look at verse 41 <laughs> so the Jews grumbled boy they've been doing that for a long time haven't they the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this 
Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus answered, do not grumble among yourselves. Again, I see the grumbling is not being told. Don't grumble. It's don't grumble amongst yourselves. If you have something to say, take it to the one who could do something about it. And then look at verse number 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, anyone eats of me, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And Jesus was clearly teaching, I am the bread of heaven. My flesh will be given to you. Eat of my death. Eat of my life. Eat of who I am and what I will do for you, and you will find eternal life. But he is also saying, and the manna that was sent in the wilderness points to me. Why? Because Jesus wants them to know, I am enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. I will take care of you tomorrow. And I will take care of you miraculously in ways that you don't think I can. I can make manna last. Did you know they collected manna at one point, put it in a golden pot. It went in the Ark of the Covenant. It didn't last two days. It lasted four centuries. Miraculous. Here's what Jesus wants us all to know. Ultimately, you don't need what you think you need. You need him. I don't know what's on your prayer list, but your prayer list, ultimately, you need Jesus. Because you eat of the bread that he sends, it's going to die. You're still going to die. You, you ask for some money, it's going to be gone. You ask for a new house, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rust. It's going to rust. It's going to corrupt. If you ask for a new car, it's going to rust. The things we want from heaven is not what we need. We need the bread of heaven, and the bread of heaven is Jesus himself. So here's my, my, here's my challenge. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after Jesus. And you will know, if you do, by the tests that are brought into your life that reveal, I'm wanting him or I'm wanting stuff. Stuff will never work. Only Jesus is the answer. Grumble to God. Direct your complaints to the one who can change your circumstances. But guess what? He's probably not going to change your circumstances. He's going to change you. Trust that God will provide the grace you need today and tomorrow to live like Jesus. Trust that God will provide the grace you will need tomorrow to live like Jesus. And trust that when you stop working, great I am will continue to work for you. When Jesus is all you want, you'll find you have all you need.